It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. We are sitting here where probably nobody thought we were going to be previewing a 2-5 and five Missouri team ready to welcome Kentucky to Faroe Field on Saturday morning at 11, and this week we're going to get right to the preview. We're going to talk to Justin Rowland. He covers Kentucky for the Rivals.com network. Justin, how you doing today, man? Gabe, I'm great, man. Thanks for thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, I appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. And and I've I've got to admit the the wind has been taken out of the sails uh, for this one in Columbia. There is there's not a whole lot of talk, but I would imagine. I mean. This is almost hey this this qualifies Kentucky for a bowl game. I would imagine Kentucky people are not technically, but they have Austin P left. We'll talk about the schedule, but I would imagine Kentucky people are are probably pretty interested in this one. Yeah, they absolutely are. Uh, they, they started the season off zero and two. They lost to Southern Miss in a game that really deflated a big portion of the fan base, and then they just got rolled by Florida. They were down forty five to nothing at one point, so they're zero and two. And a lot of people just jump ship at that point because this is Duke's fourth year. He had to get to a bowl game for some people this year. And I think a lot of those people that had jumped ship and stopped coming to the games and stopped being interested are really surprised that they've won four out of the last five games. So you know, the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for, for not letting the wheels come off and for, for salvaging a situation that looked like it was beyond repair. Uh, so, yeah, definitely a big game. And a little bit uh, about that schedule. I mean, look, they've got Georgia, they've got Tennessee, they've got Louisville. They're going to be underdogs in those three, but they've got Austin P. They're four and three. If they win this one, Kentucky's going to a bowl game almost certainly. If they don't, you know, I, I mean, this really is whether they qualify for the postseason or not, don't you think? Yeah, I think I think their only other opportunity is going to be the Georgia game. I think, you know, the fact that Georgia lost to Vanderbilt, the fact that Georgia has looked – vulnerable at certain times and historically not so much the past few seasons but historically Kentucky plays Georgia better than they play some of the other top teams in the SEC but you know you lose this game then that kind of dark cloud settles over the program again and you got to wonder what impact that would have well and how much talking about that I mean I was I don't know if you were as shocked as I was to see Missouri not only open as a favorite but the line the margin to actually go up throughout the week but how much of that do you think is uh, two things with Kentucky. One, they never seem to win road games. And two, they never seem to win once it gets to about Halloween. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that definitely there's a lot of truth to that. And one of the one of the points about the Halloween, you know, losing uh, just an annual thing is the schedule has always been pretty backloaded for Kentucky. They've always had Tennessee at the end of the season. They've usually had Georgia towards the end of the season. They now have Louisville towards the end of the season. So that, that's a tough that's a tough road to hoe, but uh, I would say another reason that they would be underdogs is their negative nine in turnover margin this year, and they've been fortunate over the past few weeks to survive some really mind-boggling turnovers. I mean, they were knocking on the door, a chance to go up 17 against Mississippi State, and they ran just a boneheaded play and fumbled, and Mississippi State returned it for a touchdown, cut it to three. I mean, that's kind of been their M.O. turnover-wise, and you go on the road, you can't, you can't turn the ball over two times more than your opponent, which is pretty much you know, what the averages would say because Missouri's got an even margin. Yeah, no, I, no let's get into the, the actual team a little bit. Uh, you know, I know Drew Barker was kind of supposed to be the future, obviously got hurt early in the year. Steven Johnson's come on. I mean, what are his strengths? How, how dangerous is he as a quarterback? Well, 
if you're looking for a guy who's always going to have good footwork, who throws a pretty ball, who's accurate, that's not Johnson. I mean, he can <laughs> throw the ball well, but it's tough to grade this guy because you look at the stat sheet and it's like he's averaging five yards per pass over over a month period, which under any other circumstances you would probably be 0-4. But he's made the running game so much better. I mean, Kentucky was probably a, a decent running team you know, with Drew Barker at quarterback. But Steven Johnson, it's not that he's just this Michael Vick kind of athlete because he's not, but he's a really smart runner. He, he's a smart decision maker in the zone read game, in the read option, in those RPOs when he can pass the ball. He makes the defense account for a lot more of the field. And his best quality, I think, is he's unflappable. You know, he's a guy who can throw an interception. He can fumble, have it return for a touchdown. And he'll be able to laugh at himself and come out and shake it off the next series. And I think that, that's been an understated quality. Kentucky running game. I mean, uh, Missouri fans probably pretty familiar with Boom Williams, who has 640 yards on the year. Not as familiar, obviously, with freshman Benjamin Snell. Uh, but these two guys are, are, I think, probably an underrated one-two punch. And uh, I, I'm sure Kentucky has noticed that Missouri has had some issues against the run here of late. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've seen the numbers, and it's kind of reminiscent of some of the numbers that Kentucky's allowed in, well, most of my lifetime. But <laughs> Benny Snell, uh, man, this guy is better than anybody thought. I watched him in high school and his film and in person, and he's, he's faster now. I swear he's gotten a lot faster in, like, one year. Um, you know, he's got incredible leg strength. He drives – it seems like every time he's hit, he drives the pile, like, three or four, maybe five or six more yards. Uh, so he's a power back that runs for a high average, has underrated breakaway speed, and uh, he's the future. I mean, I've, I've never seen a freshman running back at Kentucky as good as Benny Snell. And what his emergence has allowed them to do is they can lean on Boom Williams in the first half more heavily. You know, he's never going to be a 20-carry game guy. But because they know Benny Snell can be the second-half closer, they can go heavy with Boom Williams in the first half, and that makes them better. Now, you mentioned the rushing yards Kentucky allows. Missouri suddenly has found a running game that I think even the coaches didn't think they had early in the season. So, to me, both of these teams ought to line up and just say, we're not going to put the ball in the air until you prove to us we have to. I, I mean, is that what you expect Saturday? Yeah, I don't, and I don't understand offensive coordinators because I watched Kentucky for <laughs> a month. And, you know, Lane Kiffin, first quarter, he, he goes out and he's trying to be cute, and Kentucky's keeping him off balance with blitzes. As soon as Alabama commits to the downhill run game, the game is blown open. Now, that's Alabama, but other teams have done it as well. Don't know why Vanderbilt didn't do it more. Don't know why Mississippi State tried to get cute in the first half. So, you know, we'll see which offensive coordinator has the discipline to stick with, with the simple stuff that works. I think you yeah. might be right. Well, that'll be interesting because Missouri has had a tendency to play as if they are trying to convince us that Drew Locke and the Missouri passing game are as good as people want them to be. I, I don't think they have been all year, but they can run the football despite pretty much all year, both Josh Heupel and Barry Odom just saying, yeah, guys, we're not going to win games if we line up and just run the football at people. So you bring up an interesting point. I mean, play calling, I think, is overrated, but sometimes it is just let's let's do what we know we can do until they stop it. Yeah, I think a lot of coaches are, are sold on the running game, not being a relic of the past, but, you know, just like the great running back in the draft, his, his value has been diminished. You know, you probably look at Arkansas the last few years and say, wow, this, this is an NFL rushing team, and they lose five or six games every year. So how valuable is a power running game? But I, I'd say for Kentucky, it's been enormous, not because the total yardage has changed significantly, but because it has made the defense a lot better. There, there aren't as many three and outs. The defense is, is more rested. 
Um, it, the defense's improvement it directly correlates to, to the renew. I guess the renewed running game. Yeah. Now, offensively, I mean, Kentucky's probably going to have to throw the ball a few times. I, I'm not positive. Maybe they won't. But if they do, I mean, I'm looking at the stats, and nobody really jumps out. So is there a guy in their passing game that you say, okay, when they throw the ball, this is kind of the guy you got to focus on? Yeah. Well, we've been hearing for three years now that Kentucky's receivers are phenomenal. And the statistics don't really back it up. It's not all their fault. But nobody's ever really been consistent. Um, Dorian Baker, the leading receiver from last year, had injury issues that hampered him pretty much the entire season. He's been really a non-factor this year. Uh, he is talented, but I don't know that he's ever going to contribute this season. Uh, Garrett Johnson, two touchdown receptions against Southern Miss, first game of the season. He's been pretty much silent and had two huge drops against Mississippi State. Uh, the, the two guys that have that have been impressive lately are Ryan Timmons, a senior, kind of a slot guy. he's playing hard. You can tell he knows this is the end and he's making the most of his chances. And Jeff Bidette, who's just a super explosive guy, about as fast as Boom Williams, the two fastest guys on the team. He had seven catches for about 130-plus yards against Mississippi State, and and they tried to get him the ball more than they ever have before. So it'll be interesting to see if if Bidette is a big part of the game plan again. See, I'm so glad I didn't ask you about players specifically because I would have called him Jeff Bidet, so I'm really glad that you pronounced his name first. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Defense- National Signing Day, I do it every year. There you go. Defensively, uh, what you know? What does this Kentucky defense do well? Well, coming into the season, the secondary was what everybody pointed to as, as saying this is going to be one of the best secondaries that Kentucky has had in, in modern times. Um, that's because last year, true freshman corners Chris Westry and Derek Beatty were really good. They're six foot three Beatty and six foot four Westry um, held their own against the top receivers in the SEC. They were okay the first part of the season. The secondary was kind of a disappointment, but they're really starting to put it together. Uh, safety Mike Edwards is the best player on the team, or, or one of the best players on the team, and, and the corners are playing well. I think that the improvement has been the linebackers are rushing the passer better. They're not defending dual-threat quarterbacks well, but when they can pin their ears back and tee off against a a not-so-mobile quarterback, that's when they've been able to keep opposing offenses off balance. But Missouri really hasn't been sacked at all this year, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, that's a lot to do with the scheme. They get rid of the ball quickly, but you may have just opened a can of worms for the Missouri fans that will listen to this because they have been screaming for Marvin Zanders to get playing time for like four weeks now, and he is that mobile quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see if he's in the game plan at all for Missouri. Is that something you've talked to anybody from cut? Kentucky about or did they just they figure hey Drew Locke's the guy and we're going to see all Drew Locke I think they're preparing almost entirely for Drew Locke you know that's not to say that they won't throw a wrinkle in their preparation but I know last year you know for instance they didn't know that they were going to be playing uh Lamar Jackson from Louisville and they didn't prepare for him surprisingly that took a lot of criticism but you know he he seems like a guy you should prepare for yeah, yeah, well, they were kind of one of the first guinea pigs, and, you know, that's unfortunate in a rivalry series, but that's not to say that we, we should set the bar that high for Xanders. But, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a running joke in the world of Kentucky football. They can't defend dual-threat quarterbacks, and it does seem to hold true, you know, pretty much every year. All right, we're talking to Justin Rowland, uh, covers Kentucky for rivals. And, uh, Justin, I, I, there's everybody likes to speculate about these things. You know, everybody puts out a hot seat list every year and every week and stuff, but it's always better just to ask the people who are there. It, is Mark Stoops in any way over the next five weeks coaching for his job, or is he back regardless? I think the fact that they've won four out of the last five games has pretty much guaranteed him a fifth year. And part of that, criticize the athletics director, some people will, um, the athletics director, Mitch Barnhart, renegotiated Mark Stoops' contract 
a couple of years back when he was recruiting better than any other coach in Kentucky history had when they were five and one, when nobody expected him to be five and one. And Stoops has a $12 million buyout. And when you throw in all of his assistant coaches, assuming they didn't get jobs right away, it's, it's way more than that. So is Kentucky going to pay a football coach $12 million just to not coach one more year? I mean, the only comparison I can, I can think about was Charlie Weiss and Notre Dame, but nothing else is in the ballpark. So, you know, yeah. if he finishes five and seven, worst case, I still think he's back. All right, and now you mentioned, and this is something I'm interested in, you mentioned when they were, were recruiting so well. I mean, I think everybody had their eyebrows raised and remembered the bump that Kentucky got when they hired Mark Stoops. Uh, first of all, has that really paid off the way people thought it would? And second of all, are they still recruiting anywhere near that same level, or has it dropped off quite a bit? Well, they're not recruiting at the level they were in 2014. In 2014, they finished number 18 in the country, and that was the highest ranking in, in history. People got to remember, Kentucky is by far, by far, the smallest in-state talent pool of any school in the Southeastern Conference. It's right. the northernmost school in a southern state. No history compared to the other schools in the conference and the perception that it's a basketball school. So 18, yeah, they're, they're going to take that every year. It's been like in the, the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, which is still like 20, 30 spots. They used to recruit in like the 60s below a lot of you know non-major conference schools, which it's hard to believe. But uh, has it helped? Yeah. The eye test says that they're more talented than they had been uh, under previous coaches. Uh, the problem has been uh, under Stoops before this season, they had a tendency to wilt. You know, you hit them in the face, they wilted. They, they didn't just wilt, but they would lose the next five games. Yeah. So I, but the talent's still there. Well, and the problem is, and look, I know you're a, a big recruiting guy. That's kind of your background. The problem is what Missouri fans are finding out right now is that when you're recruiting in the 30s in the SEC, you're still like 11. I mean, Missouri yeah. was in the Big 12. When they were, say, 32nd in the country, they were probably fifth or sixth in their league. So they were only playing two or three teams every year who the recruiting ranking said had significantly more talent. Now you're facing eight teams, seven teams probably every year that the recruiting rankings say should beat you. That's right. Yeah, I've always believed that if, if you're one of the 15 teams that always recruits the top 20 class, then you're going to have better players than anybody else. But if you're in the 20 to 40 range nationally, it's about evaluation, retention, coaching continuity, and finding system fits. And, you know, we'll see how, how Kentucky's doing. Gary Pinkle obviously did it extremely well. I mean, the number of players that Missouri has in the NFL, you know, relative to their recruiting rankings, it defies belief. I mean, it defies everything that I believe in from covering recruiting. I, I did a study of three, five, and ten-year increments in the SEC um, and I consider Missouri hasn't been in the SEC this long, but only two schools defied, you know, their recruiting ranking in the SEC. Every other school was perfectly what their recruiting ranking was in terms of on-field success. Tennessee has always underachieved, and Missouri has overachieved. Um, so not many people are going to do that. Yeah, that's interesting because I've, I've looked at some numbers, and, and look, I always say uh, I – because of the site I work at and the coach I covered for 15 years, I probably value recruiting rankings less than anyone who works for rivals. Um, right. You know, be, but they are they are a pretty good guideline. But that's what I've always said, and and I'm interested in your take as a recruiting guy. And we're getting off topic a little bit, but Missouri is Missouri, and the other one I always looked at was Texas Tech, especially when Mike Leach was there. Like they just did things that recruiting networks said they shouldn't be able to do. 
Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what kind of karma some of these guys have, but you know, it's like when the coach leaves, you got to find a new formula. And and I'm I'm firmly the belief. I don't have an answer for why some coaches are able to defy those odds or why Tennessee is always underachieved. Mm-hmm. But I do know that long term, if you're talking about a program beyond one coach at a given time, you you know you're better off recruiting the highest possibly ranked class or the highest ranked class possible as opposed to you know, just doing the evaluation thing. We're not going to recruit this four-star because we don't have as good a chance with him. We're going to go for a three-star. Long-term, I think that kind of crumbles. Maybe not for yeah. Pinkle, but for Rich Brooks at Kentucky, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't continue that same pipeline of leadership and, and kind of overachievers. Yeah, and especially in this conference. I mean, I do think it's different in the Big 12 than it is in the SEC. We're talking to Justin Rowland. And, all right, Justin, last one on football, and then I do – we are starting college basketball this week, so I want to ask you a couple things there. But uh, sure. I, this game this weekend, I, I don't like asking guys for a prediction because I don't really like giving predictions. But just what kind of game do you expect and what do you think Kentucky needs to do to win? Well, I think one obvious advantage that Kentucky has is on the ground, and they've rushed for over 200 yards in four out of the last five games. The only time they did was against Alabama. If they can stick to the ground game with Williams and Snell, I'm, I'm very confident that they are going to have a lot of success on the ground. But I'm also confident they're going to turn the ball over because <laughs> Steven Johnson has been turnover prone. Uh, I don't see that changing on the road. I think Missouri has about 10 picks this year. Uh, they've been better turnover margin. Um, I, I think Drew Locke is going to have more success than he's had against some of the other teams he's faced, uh, some of the major conference teams, because um, I know Missouri's receivers really haven't been all that consistent, but he's going he's gonna to be able to – he's going to complete a lot of passes, and Kentucky's not the best tackling in open space. So I think it's going to be a high-scoring game in the 30s probably. It is amazing how similar these two teams sound. Honestly, I did a, I had a prediction the other day. I picked Kentucky 57-56, so we'll <laughs> there see. You go. But uh, like I said – I like talking to Kentucky guys because, look, I grew up a, a fan of the Big Eight at heart. I'm a college basketball fan. It's what made me a college sports fan. And so this is yeah. my only chance in this league to talk to somebody who's out of school that they really care about it, other than, yeah. you know, Arkansas, sometimes Tennessee or Vandy. But uh, so how's it look? We all know Kentucky's the best team in the SEC. They they always are. How? But really at Kentucky, the bar is how does this compare to other Kentucky teams? Well, you know, I'm not quite as high on this team as some other people. And when I say that, I, I preface it by saying I would rank them in the top five preseason, but I think they're going to lose in the Sweet 16. And that's just total guesswork. But my concern is they don't have a lot of proven outside shooting. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer that college basketball is about making shots. You know, one guy that's a proven deep threat in Derek Willis, and I don't even know if he's going to be a 25-30 minute a game guy, uh, the backcourt is ridiculously talented. CBS Sports has three of those guys as among the, the top 100 players in the country. De'Aaron Fox, an ultra-talented point guard, one of the fastest players in the country. Malik Monk, uh, one of the best athletes that I probably am going to have seen in college basketball. And Isaiah Briscoe, who's returned for his sophomore year. The best thing about this Kentucky team is going to be their length and ability to pressure the basketball. That's what Calipari has said. The reason this team can be special is we're long and we can pressure the ball. We can guard the ball. Um, but the two questions are, do they have enough outside shooting, and do they have enough low post scoring, scoring options on the low block um, to win the championship? And that's an open question. You mentioned Malik Monk. I'd honestly kind of forgotten he went to Kentucky. Does uh, Kentucky play in Fayetteville this year? That's a good question. That is really good. I'm mean, going to have to look that up. I, it, I 
I don't. I, you know, that's a good. He better hope that they don't. If <laughs> they do, a lot of heat. If they do, I honestly might drive down and buy a ticket. That that would be <laughs> that would be fun. But I. Uh, Go ahead. Whoever the radio host was that created that confrontation, oh, I, we, we gotta, I mean, we're playing games with how these presidential debates are set up and who's going to bump into who. I mean, we could, we could set that up for that game. Yeah, that, that was the worst thing I've ever heard on the radio. La- <laughs> last thing on Kentucky basketball, what's a, I know opposing fans hate him. Uh, I kind of like him. What's it like covering Calipari? Well, if you're a Kentucky fan, you're going to love him. And if, if you're not a Kentucky fan, then he's going to come across as arrogant and everything bad that you can well, you can throw at him. You know, I mean, he probably is arrogant, but he should be. Right, and that's part of his that's part of his act. I don't. It's very difficult to tell with Calipari when the marketing ends and when when the kind of real Calipari begins. I think he is a more humble guy at heart than people want to give him credit for. But I think he's made a calculation that being brash and, and inserting himself into the news cycle 365 days a year is part of what makes him sell. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's, he's a really good coach. You know, there, there's a very small number of Kentucky fans who just harp on, he's only got one championship and 20-plus first-round picks. But, you know, at the end of the day, who are they going to trade him for? Yeah, no question, man. Well, Justin, I appreciate it, and uh, I don't know if any of you guys are headed up here on Saturday, but uh, if so, make sure to say hey. I'll be there, and I'll see you. All right, man. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. Justin Rowland, uh, Cats Illustrated, uh, the Kentucky site on the Rivals.com network. Check it out. They do a good job covering Kentucky, and I I tell you what, guys, listening to that, this is like a mirror image game. I, I mean, they're the same team. They can run the ball. Nobody really knows if they can throw it. They can't seem to really stop anybody. They turn the ball over and make mistakes. Uh, you know, it, it. I I don't know if it'll be a good game, but I think it'll be a competitive game. Let's say that. I mean, I I'm not sure this is going to hold much attention outside Columbia and Lexington, but I do think it it should be competitive and uh and probably be a fourth quarter football game. And you know what? At this point, uh, Missouri just needs a win. They're five and twelve in their last seventeen against FBS teams. They have lost nine straight SEC games. Um, you know, they their best win this year is Eastern Michigan. They've looked awful against most Power Five competition they played. They just got to find a way to win a game. And really, it's it's pretty interesting if you trace it back. This whole thing started last September in Lexington, Kentucky. That was where, you know, uh, they lost twenty one thirteen. It, it, Matty Mock played terribly. It ended up being his last game. It, Drew Locke comes in. They get a one-week reprieve by beating South Carolina 24-10, and then it's all just been really downhill on and off the field since then. So maybe a little bit of revenge, uh, you know, on Missouri's mind. I doubt, frankly, that's a factor. They just need to beat somebody. I don't think they probably care who it is. But uh, 11 a.m., it's on the SEC Network because that's where Missouri lives until they start winning a few football games. So we will be there, full coverage uh, this week. Just Justin, just the game preview. Um, had some other things going on, so we didn't uh, don't have a former player this week. Tomorrow night, Halloween and Hoops uh, starts at 6.30. The women, the men, the skills competition will be over there covering some basketball. So double duty for the next uh, few weeks. And then again, uh, kickoff, 11 a.m. Saturday. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on the podcast next week.